Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. So today we close out our September worship series on the names and titles of God. And it's been a journey. We've explored a lot of the names from the Old Testament that are not always so clearly described well for us as New Testament Christians. But we've also had an opportunity to look at how just the receipt, the giving to us of God's personal name that we see as Lord with the capital L and small caps O-R-D is actually the revelation of God's personal name, Yahweh, or that the development of a name and title such as God the Father leads us into a relationship. It allows us to recognize that God didn't just create us and abandon us, but that God continually sees God's self as our divine parent and welcomes us to be prodigal children, always coming home to our God. These kinds of things encourage us not only to better understand who God is, but today it helps us to understand who we are. As we explore something that is revealed here in the book of Exodus, but even Jesus will invoke this same name in the New Testament, and that is, I am. And more completely, I am who I am. And there's a lot of debate around what exactly God said here because the Hebrew is grammatically imperfect. There's some transitional issues there. It's possible that what God said is just what we read. I am who I am, or I am what I am, or I will be what I will be. But all three of those possible interpretations lead us to one undeniable conclusion, and that is that God is. God is not dependent upon our worship. God is not dependent upon our understanding. God recognizes that God has always been, is now, and forever will be, and tries to grant us that consistency, that constancy, that promise that God will not abandon us, but instead be here with us and for us, And should we wander away, God says, I am here when you turn and decide to come back. I do not shut the door and cast you aside. I do not wipe you away. Instead, I am constantly reaching out to you, calling you, and seeking to bring you back into this right relationship that I have created you to discover, enjoy, and be blessed by all of your days. So when we look at who God entrusted this name to, you might be surprised. Now, maybe you're very familiar with Moses, but Moses is not a hero character that we ourselves would design. Moses has a very complicated past. And at the time of this, when God speaks to Moses out of a burning bush that is not consumed, Moses is living in exile as a fugitive from the law. 
If we go back to the beginning of the Exodus story, we find that those that had entered into the nation of Egypt under the protection and auspices of Joseph, the son of Jacob, also renamed as Israel, to provide them with a place where they could be safe during unparalleled famine. They have stayed, they have prospered, they have been very fruitful in Egypt, and their numbers have increased to the point that the Egyptians start to fear them. They start to subjugate these foreign visitors that are now living in their midst, and they eventually enslave them. And Moses ends up through an incredible story, coming to live in the house of Pharaoh. He was found in the river in a basket that his mother had placed him in in order to get away from the threat that was coming to kill all of the young boys that were born to the Israelites. Everyone to and under, all those males were to be killed. And she could not bear that thought. And so she put him in a basket and entrusted him into the river. And he made his way to the daughter of Pharaoh. And there she finds him and chooses to adopt him. She chooses to be in relationship with this young child. And he's raised in the palace. He's raised among the princes of Pharaoh. And there he lives in incredible wealth. This isn't just a king. This isn't just a monarch. This is someone who was believed to be the embodiment of God. This too was someone who ascended into deity. And Pharaoh had unparalleled power and wealth, not just in Egypt, but in the known world at the time. And so being privy to that and living in the palace meant that Moses never wanted for anything. But he was also aware that he had come from the Hebrew people, the Israelites. And one day, as he's watching these people with whom he shares a genetic past, as he watches them be abused and subjugated, something snaps in him. Now, the text is very clear that Moses looks both ways and then chooses to murder the overseer that was whipping an Israelite. And when it becomes known what Moses had done, because someone always finds out, Moses flees. He doesn't confront what was happening. He just leaves and he flees all the way out to a little place called Midian. And there he meets a wife and he is working as a shepherd in his father's family house. And he doesn't even have his own sheep. Instead, he's living by his father-in-law. And when he has this encounter, he doesn't think that he's anyone. He feels very broken. He feels like a failure. He has known the epitome of power and wealth, and now he has none of those things. And while he thought he could just eke by his life, surviving in anonymity, the God of all, who was, is, and forever will be, calls to him out of the miraculous burning bush that is not consumed. And Moses has the reaction that most of us will have when God says, I want you to do something incredibly risky but important. Most of us go, no, thank you. Moses did the same. Five times he tries to offer up excuses or reasons why he shouldn't go, including, I don't want to go send somebody else. But here in one of the early objections he has is, I don't even know your name. If I go back, the people are going to ask me which God sent me. 
And that's strange for us. We tend to be monotheists. We only think about one God existing. And we live in a world where, especially in Christianity in these days, we think of all other possible deities as false or idols. But back in Moses' day, it was very clear that there were other options. Every nation had their own nationalistic God. And the Egyptians didn't have a God. They had a pantheon of gods. And they all had their own names and backstories. And in Egypt, they all had different animal heads. It was very easy to keep them identified. This is the cat head God, and it's much easier to know who we're talking about. But Moses doesn't have that because the God of the Old Testament, the God, the Father that revealed God's self to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't allow God to be memorialized in image form. No sculptures, no paintings. It is just my name and my relationship. And so Moses, who has been far removed from those covenants, says, I don't even know your name. And God gives this response. I am who I am. I am not a God that is dependent upon a people holding land and becoming a sovereign nation. I am not a God that is dependent upon two or more people worshiping me. I am a God that has existed and is now. And even if my people do not call upon me by name, I am their God. And so God says, I am. I am here for you. I am with you. I am the God of this people that are hurting, that are crying out, that are unjustly being beaten and broken and enslaved. I am their God, and it is time that they experienced that they are my people. I will bring them liberty. I will set them free from their bondage and their slavery and the death at the hand of their taskmasters. And you will be part of that work. You will bring them here to me on this mountain. And then they will see and hear with their own earthly vessels that they are mine. And with all of this, Moses is deeply overwhelmed. We can understand why someone who had committed premeditated murder and fled from one of the superpowers in his day doesn't want to go back. We can understand why someone doesn't be, want to be responsible for moving hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt and into Midian. We can understand why Moses just wants to just go about his life. I have nothing and you want me to go there and be somebody? But that's precisely what God keeps saying to each of us even today. I have great things that I want to do with you. I want to do them through you, and I want you to be a part of that work. That's a constant message in the Old Testament and the New, and it's a message that the Holy Spirit has been pouring out on believers since the first day of Pentecost. We are those that are being invited into this incredible existence with our God, a God that has no beginning. As I told the children, God wasn't created. God is the creator. God existed and did not want to be alone. God did not want for the world to just be a vastness filled only with God. God wanted to be in relationship. And so God created humankind to do that. We are part of that purpose, to experience this incredible deity who was before people even created other deities. 
And Moses is having to wrap his head around that same revelation because even back then, especially in Mesopotamia, so many gods were the product of other gods, gods having children just like people do. And Moses is trying to wrap his mind, like a lot of children do, around, well, where did you come from? Who are you? You don't really have a people. They're a bunch of slaves. You don't have a nation. It's not like we have a land somewhere that we're aware of because they don't know. And so God says, let's go back to the beginning. Let's start with the relationship and the covenant, and then we'll work our way forward for those places. And that's important for us to hear, that especially now if we're feeling isolated and cast aside, if we're so frustrated or fearful or anxious, it's important for us to do exactly what God is inviting, not just Moses, but every single Israelite to do. Let's go back to the beginning and start with relationship. Let's start with committing to one another. Let's go back to God saying, you are mine. You are not a people that a, and a God would choose. I choose you. I have known you from the beginning, from before the day of your birth. And I want you to know that I have never walked away from you even when you were in another place and under horrible circumstances, even when you were suffering or you failed to be obedient to me, I have not abandoned you. And the proof is that I am reaching out to you. I am coming to you. In Christian terms, this is when God extends us that prevenient grace to remind us that God is with us and for us, even when we don't feel worthy or capable of accepting that, not even fully. But God doesn't stop telling us that message. And God does exactly what God said God would do in Moses. I'm sending you back there and you can give me a million excuses. Tell me you can't speak properly. I'll send your brother Aaron with you. Tell, you, tell me that no one will believe you. I will make you do signs and wonders. Tell me you don't want to go and I'm sending you anyway. At the end of the day, God said, you're going to do this because I am with you. There is nothing older and there is nothing that will outlast me. In our gathering liturgy, we said the words from the book of Revelation. So we go all the way to the end of the scriptures. We find God declaring, I will outlast and outlive everything. Death, sin, sickness, this world. I will outlast those things. So if you cling to a world that will end, if you cling to pain and suffering and sin, they will end. If you cling to me, you will find everlasting life. I will create a new place for you to be with me. And we're invited to cling to that in our darkest days and our times of uncertainty and fear. When we feel anxiety starting to erode our sense of connection with God and one another, that is especially when we need to remember. And some might argue that the entire conversation that Moses is having with God at this moment was because God suddenly remembered. Well, that's an English translation. Uh, the word that we would get from the Hebrew and then later from the Latin is actually mindfulness. It's not that God suddenly awoke one day and went, oh, I forgot I had this people. But instead that God is mindful of them. And like a good divine parent, sometimes we wait until our child is ready to listen, to accept some help, perhaps some experience and some expertise, 
And when they're ready, we offer them what we have, our assistance, our words of encouragement, our resources, our presence. And that's what God did. The time is right and the people are ready to receive me once more. I have never forgotten them. They are always in my mind. They are always on my heart, even when I am not on their mind or feeling very enlivened in their hearts. And so God said, now is the time. Today is the day. And God sent not a hero, but a murderer to find redemption and to pave the way. Throughout time, Christians have been failed, flawed people. We commit sins. We are those that often can't make things work the way that we want or even the way that we thought God wanted us to work. But if we allowed that to be our source of strength, we would completely fail. But because we are in a relationship with a God who never fails, who never falters, who has no beginning or end, who is truly our Alpha and our Omega, we are in a relationship with a God who is able to overcome our shortcomings, our failures, our want and sin. And then we experience what Moses got to glimpse. Glory and God's revealed power and presence. Moses got to experience God's miracles, not just for him, but for all his people. He got to encounter that God was doing a new thing. God was about to make everything new for the Israelites. And God is continuing to make things new for us, for you and for me, and for those that don't quite recognize yet that they are part of us too. And that is what keeps us grounded and focused. That's what inspires us as Christians to be mindful of others. Sometimes we use remember so often as, I'm going to the grocery store, I need to remember to get milk. But Christianity pushes us to reverse that. I'm going to the grocery store to pick up things for myself and for my household, whom I love and I provide for. And because my 11-year-old child drinks milk like it's going out of style, I'll make sure that he has more milk because he is always on my mind. It's an attention to a relationship and not task. And therefore, we are more likely to succeed because we start to mirror what God revealed to us. You are on my mind. I am mindful of you. It's not that I go and focus on something else. And we are so blessed to have a God that is so vast and so large and truly unknowable because that God is able to simultaneously know and be mindful of every human being on the planet. We couldn't even do a census of all of those people. But God doesn't just know them. God loves them. God has watched them and nurtured them and reached out to them and attempted to bless them in spite of all things. And that is where we ground ourselves in the knowledge of this God. That is the God we serve. That is the God that came to us in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That is the God that has come to us again and again in the power and the movement of the Holy Spirit. That is the God who was, is, and forever will be. And so when we feel that things are changing, 
or that things aren't changing enough, when we feel that we are just struggling just to get by and survive, we have to remember that ours is a God that knows us, knows our struggles, and is not walking away. This is a God who says, when things are horrible, lean into my arms. They will never fail. They will never break. They will never be overloaded, and you will never slip through my fingers. And to prove that to you time and time again, not only am I in relationship with you, but I will create for you a family of faith, and they too will magnify my love, my care, my relationship and connection with you. That's who we're called to be. And sometimes we're the ones that need to be cared for and reminded. And sometimes we get to be in the very mosaic position of being part of God's reaching out and care and concern and loving people where they are. So no matter which of those you find yourself being today, thanks be to God that we have the same incredible, unfailing, and everlasting God who loves us, redeems us, always is willing to forgive us and restore us to the image in which we were all first created, not just to be good, but very good to one another. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.